Imagine us going into a class and somebody explaining every detail of what's in the application of Word to create a doc. Mm-hmm. I don't want, mm-hmm. look, I want to open it. I want to start typing. I want to change the font size and I want to change the font and I maybe want to format some paragraphs. Other than that, I don't want to hear about the rest of it. And think of that as a, as a sales presentation. You're walking in, your product has a lot of features providing a lot of benefits, but the customer doesn't want to hear all that, which is why, to your point, you got to slow down and listen to what it is they want. And then when it's your time to present, you'll know the moment to pivot into your presentation. Then you speak to those issues specifically. Welcome to Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Shahid Dharani. Today we have with us Victor Antonio. Victor is a globally sought-after sales trainer and consultant who earned a BS Electric Engineering and MBA and built a 20-year career as a top sales executive and becoming president of global sales and marketing for a $420 million company. That is amazing, Victor. Thank you for coming on our show. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. That's an amazing accomplishment. The $420 million in sales, what part did you have in those sales? Majority of it or a percentage of it? I always say a small percentage. Salespeople have the majority so, of it. I was just running yeah, the ship. Uh, yeah, my, my thing was I, I started out as an engineer. Shahid. Mm. And then after that, after doing engineering for a while, I realized not the thing I want to do. And then I, I moved into application engineer, tried different positions. And when I finally found sales, it was like I found my hyper pad, man. Mm-hmm. In this business, especially as an entrepreneur, if you can't sell, then you're going to have a hard time, no matter how good your product or service is. I think it's anything in life. You're always selling with your family. Selling is always happening. Yeah. And so it's funny. I talk to a lot of companies, right? And one of the biggest hesitations they have or the people have, it's a mindset thing, right? They think of selling as those old movies where, you know, that whole ABC always be closing, pressuring people to buy. And I have to remind people that times have changed. There's something called the internet that now makes consumers much smarter. And so therefore you can't really pressure people into buying. So I always tell people who have a mental block with this to say, why don't you just replace selling with sharing? If you have something great to share, then just share what you have. And if they see the mm-hmm. value, and if you present the value, that's all you have to do, share. And they'll say, you know what? Let me take a closer look at that. Yeah, and it makes things so much more easier on both parties because the sales professional that's going into that kind of a meeting, the the level of stress that he would go in mm-hmm with will decrease tremendously because he's just going to have a chat that's what we do on on the show here to make it easy we just want to have an organic conversation just chit chat it removes a lot of that that icky stuff yeah yeah that's a good technical phrase icky because because it is icky right it's my favorite favorite term yeah 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 it's but but it's on point because it's that uncomfortable feeling we get and if we just realize Mm -hmm. it's a conversation that we're having and I think too often is that if you go in desperate to sell something, we joke about commission breath. People can smell that on you. And sometimes the best way to be powerful in an actual presentation is to not want it that bad. Go in there almost thinking, okay, yeah. I, I want to sell you, but you sell you on me wanting to do business with you. And I think when you have yeah. that removed detachment, that objectivity to just say, you know what, 
let's see if this is a good fit for us. All of a sudden, the, the, the dynamic is different. It's more peer-to-peer yeah. Yeah. than superior to subordinate type of thing. Yeah. And there's some sort of a power behind it too, because even in life, when you remove the force, when mm. you remove, I got to get, I have to make this, I have to close, yeah. I have to do this, I have to make these numbers. And you remove that and you just go in with that easy feeling, you start mm-hmm. seeing better things start happening in your life. Something that we're connected to wants us to relax in nature. Just take mm-hmm. it easy. Don't stress. Things will be okay. As soon as we start stressing, as soon as we try to figure out and try to force results, mm-hmm. things go backwards. Yeah. It, it's part of our biology too, if you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Fear, when you're experiencing fear, it tends to narrow your focus, right? And that's what anxiety is, but when you're unsure, you need to deal, you're desperate, right? It narrows your focus. And what you're saying is absolutely right, that when you're not afraid to lose the deal, right, you relax more. And when you relax more, it's like your aperture opens up a little bit more and you can now see more and hear more of the conversation. And that's the difference is that you're walking in, not trying to close something, not afraid of losing it, and you're more relaxed. And your presentation, your conversation is more relaxed. Mm. You're going in to see if you can help them, right, in, in a way, and not have that extensive pressure of, I got to close. It makes the conversation so much easier as well, the communication, because mm. the listening is very much important on the sales professional side. It heightens, right? Now mm. they're really paying attention to what the prospect is saying. What do you think? I think the... On, on the listening piece, it's important what you said because it's almost like yeah. we, we say you got to slow down to speed up a sale. Slow down yeah. to speed up a sale. Seems like a paradox, but it isn't. Yeah. The slowing down piece means like too often it's like a tiger ready to pounce, right? You just want to you just want to pitch, right? You just want, oh, let me tell you about my product. Oh, let me tell you about my product. You're like, whoa, whoa, easy. You almost have to tell your brain, calm down. Yeah. And so what happens is if you train yourself to slow down, if the customer says something and you say, you'll say, instead of just, oh, we have something for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Instead of doing that, just say, tell me more about that. They'll tell you more. Why is that important to you? Because of this, this. So if we can help you do this and this, then we can, you can this will be like something you'd want to use. Yeah, that's exactly what we want, Victor. Okay. Now let's talk about this other situation. You're trying to get it all out from them first. Because if you take the time to slow down, listen to what they're saying, they're giving you the sales pitch. And I always remind people that when you use like Word document, we all use Word or a variation of it. We all use Word. What's fascinating is we use less than 5% of the features in Word. And I use this as a software example when I'm talking to software companies or technology companies that you're sitting there trying to tell them every feature and they don't want to hear every feature. They just want to solve a specific problem. Imagine us going into a class and somebody explaining every detail of what's in the application of Word to create a dot doc. Mm. I don't want, mm. look, I want to open it. I want to start typing. I want to change the font size and I want to change the font and I maybe want to format some paragraphs. Other than that, I don't want to hear about the rest of it. And think of that as a, as a sales presentation. You're walking in, your product has a lot of features providing a lot of benefits, but the customer doesn't want to hear all that, which is why to your point, you got to slow down and listen to what it is they want. And then when it's your time to present, you'll know the moment to pivot into your presentation. Then you speak to those issues specifically. Mm-hmm. And can you speak on allowing the prospect to sell themselves mm-hmm. through this type of questioning? And you get into it, they start realizing 
that do I need this? Can you speak about and how important that is? So the method I like to refer to back is the, there was a book written called The Toyota Way, which is about the company Toyota. And mm-hmm. they came up with this five whys, right? Okay. So let's say I'm selling, again, let's just use software because it can go service a product. And I'm selling a software. And let's say that we have a meeting. And they say, Victor, we have problem with tracking our clients. I said, why do you have problem tracking your clients? Because right now we're using a, this type of software. Okay. What is it? Why don't you like that piece of software? What is it about it you don't like? We don't like the way it generates the reports. Can I ask why? And they'll start telling you what they, oh, it doesn't provide visual analytics or whatever may be a visual dashboard, printout, whatever it may be. By taking your time and asking the five whys, you begin to really get to the real issue of what their motivation is for buying, right? In the book, The Toyota Way, they talk about in the assembly line, there's a grease puddle on the floor. First question is, why is that grease puddle on the floor? Because the machine's leaking. Why is it leaking? Because we haven't replaced the bear- this seals. Why haven't you replaced the seals? Because we haven't found a good supplier. Why haven't we found a good supplier? Because I guess nobody's assigned to it. Okay, so the real problem is we need to assign somebody to go find us a seal supplier that actually can provide us quality seals. That's the real problem. It has nothing to do with the puddle. My point is that sometimes it's not what, it's what's underlying is what you're digging for. So too often we go for the shiny objects, right? The quick things we can solve by showing them what we can do with our features. When you really have to dig into it, well, what's really driving this dissatisfaction? And that's the key word. What is this dissatisfaction? Early you mentioned now, you don't go in there to sell. You go in there to provide value. If you really believe in the value, this is why I think a lot of people mentally check out. You got to understand the value you provide. When you walk in to talk to a company, you're almost like you want to walk in and say, look at Shahid, I got something for you. You don't understand. This is a product you need. Let me tell you what it does and how it's going to help your business. And I always talk about the, the, the value trinity. If I can help you increase revenue, reduce costs, or expand market share, or all three, that's the trinity, right? So I always ask people when I train, how does your product or service help them increase revenue, reduce costs, or expand market share? That's your value. And, it's, and if you walk in there knowing, I can help you, Shahid, I can help your business, and you walk in there with that mindset, I'm trying to help you. It's a totally different conversation because you're walking in almost like a value merchant, I call it. You're bringing value to the table, mm. and you should be glad that I'm here, Shahid, right? Mm. That, that mindset, yeah. I mean, don't be arrogant, of course. Of <laughs> course, <thinking>. yeah. <laughs> it's more of the mindset of service, right? I want to do more for you. I want to leave you with an increase. That's why I'm here. Regardless, if we continue this relationship as a company and client, regardless of that, I'm just here to see if I can leave you with an increase. With that type of mindset. Can I adjust that mindset? Can I just adjust that mindset? Because I I hear it a lot, right? I hear this service mindset and I get it. I get it. Be a servant leader, serve our customers. I get all that. Yeah. But there, there's got to be what I, to me, it's always a value exchange. It is a value exchange. Capitalism is a value exchange. True capitalism, pure capitalism in the, in the purest form is a, an exchange of value for value, right? And so I am coming here to provide you with a service or a product, Shahid, for your business that's going to provide you value. But in return, I'm going to get some value too, which is I'm going to get a commission if I close the deal. That's what motivates me as a salesperson. Too often, we just want to look at the altruistic aspect of selling, which is what I can do for you. I'm like, no, let's talk about what it can do for me also, because I got to go home and I got to pay some bills. I got kids who want to go to college. I got a mortgage. I got a car payment. I got things I got to pay off. 
And so when I think about sales, I go, the reason I sell is to help you. You want to call it service? Fine. But I want to provide value so I can get value in return. And that to mm. me creates a virtuous cycle of why we do what we do. Mm. The value exchange. That's a very good point, Victor. I want to add to that as well. When we go into a meeting, we already subconsciously believe that we are a closer and we are able to serve people by closing. You can't really serve anyone until something closes, right? right. At the end of the day. And, and it, that's something that you do. That's how you roll and you have that belief. If you go in with that mentality of service, because it's just a mindset, no. you don't want that pressure when you go in. Sure. So you're going in with that service-based um, attitude or mindset. And you go in, but you already feel, believe that, you know what, I'm good at this. I know I'm going to get you as a client. I right. feel good. Not in an ego way. I'm talking about within, in the subconscious, the belief of your potential right. and your capabilities as a sales professional. You go in, would, wouldn't that make an impact to close the deal as well? The And again, I, I like to like parse words sometimes because, again, I think the mm. service piece is just overused sometimes. I understand it. I get it. And there's value there. Mm -hmm. I go there to provide value. I don't go there to serve, right? Because I, I go there to provide value. That's my mindset. I'm going there to provide value to help your business. And so when I when it, that puts me, again, in a peer-to-peer -peer relationship. If I'm going in there to serve, I feel like I'm in a subordinate position. And some people don't get that. I don't want to serve. I want to provide value. And you will mm. provide value back. If I can demonstrate value, then you will provide value. And this is why every relationship is value for value based. And so I don't like to close deals. I think this is another, let's use, just change terminology a little bit because you use that a lot, right? I want to close a deal. No, I don't want to close a deal. I want to open a relationship. Big difference. Mm, good point. I'm, so I'm going in there to open a relationship. So if I bring value, and that opens up a relationship. That's what we're talking about. But we have to understand that the buyer has changed. The buyer has a lot of information. In the past, we thought relationship selling. Here, let me go back to 2011. Because in 2011, uh, a company called CEB wrote a book called The Challenger Sale, which was based on a study. And what they did is they looked at the market. And here's what they found. They found that whether this, a sale was simple or complex, the economy was high or low, up or down rather, that... The challenger did the best. Now, the challenger has a personality of, I'll challenge you. I'll say, hey, why would you want to do that? Why would you do this? In other words, really push the customer to really think through what they want to do. The, so that was one of the profiles. They identified five profiles. And the profile that won, that was most dominant in closing deals, quote unquote, was the one that was very challenging. The one that did the worst of the five profiles, and there was, let me see if I can get them right. There was a hard worker, the challenger, the lone wolf, the problem solver and the relationship builder. The relationship builder did the worst when it came mm. to simple or complex sale, economy up or down, the relationship builder did the worst. Why? Let's analyze this for a second. You want to buy something today. Shahid, put yourself in that position. You want to buy something. And let's say you're, you go to a dealership to buy a car. Let's say you're going to do that. You're going to buy a car. Now, you've done some research, right? You've pretty much narrowed it down to what you want. One or two brands. You know what price you want to pay. You know what the manufacturer retail price is. You know what you want to pay. Now, when you go on that car lot, do you want a relationship with that salesperson? Yes, there's no. 
I don't want a relationship. I want to talk to an expert that's going to help me decide. I want to get be. results. Yes. I want the outcome, right? If I hire somebody to do roofing, I don't want to be friends with the roofer. I want you to put a good roof that doesn't leak over my head. Now, mm -hmm. knowing that, after the sale is done and I'm satisfied, do I want a relationship with that person? Uh, yeah, because they're going to be continue ongoing support, right? So I do want that. So the relationship piece has been pushed to the post-sale, right, in terms of importance. What's been moved to the forefront is they use the word challenger. Some people use you position yourself as a subject matter expert. In other words, the customers are overwhelmed with so much information today that they don't know how to decide sometimes. And they're confused. And they lack, here's an important phrase, they lack the confidence to make a buying decision. What they're looking for in salespeople today is says, look, Shahid, I'm telling you right now, let me walk you through why this is going to work, how it's going to work, and when you're going to see a return on investment. And I walk you through that process. You ask me every tough question you have, I'm able to answer it. Every time I'm answering your question, every time I'm providing and highlighting the roadmap, how you're going to get there, your confidence in making a decision goes up. And because your confidence goes up, you're more likely to make a buying decision. That's what the market's looking for. So when I say I am a bringer of value, is because that's the value I'm talking about. I'm going to help you make a buying decision and choose the best product or service out there. And then in return, I hope to get a commission from that. Yeah, for me, really wonderful points. For me, I, I feel that the value and service, they feel the same to me when you're just going there to see if you can improve that individual or that company's business or their life. It just feels like the same. And true service can only happen once someone converts and you start a relationship with them. That's when you are able to truly serve. But before that, it's just, you're just there, like you said, add value, Correct. provide service, do whatever you can to see if you can actually even help that person. Because sometimes the person that you're meeting, they might not even have any interest. They agreed to meet, but they, they may not know if they need this, for example. So now, what would you recommend or what kind of suggestions you have in a situation like that? They walk in and they agreed to meet with you. They have a lot on their mind, mm -hmm. but they're not really in the market. They're just window shopping. Yeah. What would you do in that kind of situation to get them more excited in your product without doing feature dump, of course? Okay. So let's frame the conversation because it's a big question mm -hmm. you're asking me. I look at markets as a distribution curve, right? And I call it the 20-60-20. 20% will only buy on price. These are people who that's it. You got the best price? Yes or no? If you don't have the best price, I'm not going to buy from you. I don't care. Yeah, I know you're better. doesn't matter. I want my price. 20% will always buy on price, right? These are, as you say, the, the tire kickers and just they're price hunters, right? At the other extreme of the spectrum of the curve, you have the 20%, I'll call them status buyers. Status buyers are like, look, I'm just looking for the best of the best. Give me a proposal, put it all in there. Give me all the features, all the benefits. I don't want to think about this. Just give me that. I love these customers. These are customers that are easy to sell, right? Those are, we love those customers. Hate those at the price under, love status buyers. In the middle, the 60%, we'll call that the movable middle. Our job is to move that middle into the buying slot. And so the question you're asking me is, how do you convince somebody to buy? First of all, you got to pre-qualify, depending on which situation you're in. Here's a question I get. I work with, let's say, the pool industry, right? The pool industry. You want to put a pool in the back. You call up, says, hey, I want a pool, right? So somebody calls in, says they want a pool, right? 
Our immediate reaction is to like, all right, let me show you what we have. No, the first call is to call back. Let's say I, they left a voicemail, I call back. First question I'm asking, hey, so hey, got your call. Thank you very much. I see you're in the market for a pool based on your voicemail. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're looking for? And you'll tell me. I said, well, you'll say, I'm looking for this type of pool. Then I'm going to ask you this question. This is a very good question to ask. How much research have you done? Now, mm. you're going to tell me either, I always joke, I say there's none, some, or ton. You did a, no, no research, you did some research, or you did a ton of research. If they've done a ton of research, I love them because they already know what they want, and they also understand the price points because they've done the research. And then people who say, well, I haven't done any research, at this point, you're going, okay. If you've done no research and you just called me, this is not really a qualified lead. If they say they've done some, we get an idea where they're at. So let's take all three. They've done no research. At this point, I can't even consider this a qualified lead. At this point, I'm going to ask additional questions. Tell me what you found. What are your motivations? What's your time frame? What's your budget? I'm going to ask those questions up front because they've done no research. In other words, I have to educate them. And that's never a good position to be in, which is why I think marketing is pivotal today. Being able to market, to be able to be found on the internet, the search engines and everything else, doing your marketing, informing customers, because more and more customers are going on the buying journey by themselves, discovering information. Go to the other extreme. They've done a ton of research. That means, again, they're good. They know what they want. Back to the middle again. These people have done some research. This is where we can provide value. So what I would, to answer your question shortly, when someone calls in, I say, how much research have you done? Let's say they say, well, I've done some research. Fair enough. Second question, always against, don't talk. Let them talk. What have you found? Give me an idea of what you found. I looked at this. I've looked at in-ground. I've looked at above-ground. Uh, based on what you've looked at so far, what's your preference? And again, I'm asking questions, almost like the five whys. I'm trying to get an understanding of, one, how much they know, and two, how motivated they are for this pool in this case. And so my answer to you is when, some, when we're dealing with somebody who's not a motivated buyer, one, why am I talking to you if you're not motivated? In other words, we got to qualify people. Just because somebody comes in through the website doesn't mean they're a qualified lead. They might be a market qualified lead, but they're not a sales qualified lead. Market qualified lead is they kind of, they're interested. A sales qualified lead is somebody talk to that person, that prospect, and say, and ask them five or 10 questions, which are key to say, okay, this is a serious lead. Let's move it into the next phase of the sales process. Did I answer your question? Definitely. Because some companies hire call centers. They do cold calling, for example, yeah. and they come in. So it happens. That's why I wanted to, to see what would be done in that kind of situation and can, get can, your can wisdom, I, Victor. Yes. Can we address that one? Because I think that we, we Please. it's... With the advent of AI, you're going to see cold calling now done by, by, by chatbots, right? I don't know if you've seen some of the demos out there. There's a company called AI Primal. Just came out with, I think, the first official cold calling bot. And the thing is pretty good. It's really good. And so sure. it can now call and actually have a conversation with you. So cold calling is now going to be relegated eventually over the next few years to a bot. That's the beautiful thing. Because cold calling is hard. Connection rates are almost like, what, 1% if that? Close rates are probably in the 0.2, It's a very tough business because you're trying to take somebody who has no interest, you cold call them, and now you're trying to move them all the way through the buying cycle within a phone call or maybe two. Very tough to do. That was one of my questions I wanted to ask you about cold calling because a lot of people actually live by it. 
And those stats are not motivating because it's a lot of work. You have to invest a lot of time to, to convince people. Otherwise, when they're not even in the market uh, mm. for any of your products or services. Right. So it just depends on the kind of cold call you do. But that's interesting. You shared that AI is going to be covering a lot. I never mm. realized the cold calling portion of it. And that sounds interesting. Yeah. So what's hap- what'll happen is, and by the way, this is not maybe, oh, it's going to happen. And I don't think you're yeah. going to wait two or three years to see it. And so mm. what happens now is somebody will come to your website, download a report, right? A free book, download a report, a case study. Immediately, the chatbot will call you up and is able to have that conversation with you. Hands-free. You don't have to do anything. Wow. But it's immediate. And then if they do schedule, let's say, a demo based on that call, then the thing will schedule the demo for you, put it in your calendar, actually look at your calendar, find the time slot, and do it for you. We're talking, this exists already today. It's just a matter, yeah. of, it has, it's not ubiquitous yet. It's, people aren't implementing it at a wide level, but within a year or two. If you're in a call center right now, I think that business is going to, I'm not going to say it's died. Things like that never die. They just, as they say, go to zero. Victor, thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on our show today, sharing your wisdom and congratulations on all your success and your growth. You're definitely helping companies grow. So I appreciate what you do and appreciate your time for coming on today. And it was wonderful meeting you as well. If you have any final words, please go ahead. No, I love entrepreneurs. I think the, I'm all about entrepreneurs. I worked for a company and in 2001, I called it quits with corporate America. And I got to tell you, building your own business, being in control of your life is, is just a beautiful thing. But like anything else, taking off is hard. But once you get to that altitude, you're golden. So don't stop. Keep climbing. Don't stop. Keep climbing.